Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Joe Schmo Sports Show. You're here with Clint, Dom, and Dre, as usual. And today, we have some incredible guests coming in the show, some very accomplished athletes, very pro athletes, former, because you haven't right, you haven't competed in a while. No, right? last time I competed was October 2016 in okay. China. And okay. Actually, I haven't ridden in... 15 months yeah now. we'll get we'll talk to yeah. we'll talk about that too <laughs> so we have mr josh perry a former pro bmx athlete and miss jackie laura sella mm-hmm. i'm not yeah. I'm butchering that no that was, okay that all was right perfect. cool so i want to start talking about the reason that you're not yeah. doing bmx anymore mm-hmm. yeah all right so let's fast forward to 2010 all right so you there was an instant an incident where you had like a hard crash mm-hmm. and you'd been having migraines the yep. whole nine thing then you went in for a doctor's appointment because of your crash and then that yep. turns into yeah. the rest of your life. So yeah. tell us a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the way you put that, I haven't heard it like that before. Yeah. So 2009, won my first pro contest, invented a trick, won a Harley from winning that trick. Well, okay. Two, two months later, wrote okay. X Games. We need to get back to that at some point. <laughs> right. All right. Anyway, continue. And then still competing third or fourth year on the Dew Tour professionally now. And then March 2010, training, trying a new trick. And I got it dialed in the foam pit. And I should probably explain the word dialed is when you get oh the gosh. trick confidently smooth. It's, a, it's an action sports term. Many people laugh when I say that. But uh, just to, to those listening, dialed is just you did it really well. That shot was dialed, bro. Notes. That putt was dialed. Like You're ready to take it actually onto right. a ramp yep. or a course or something like that as knew- opposed to landing in foam. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I knew the contest I had won the year before was coming up in a couple of weeks in mm-hmm. April. So I had to try this trick that I wanted to bring. Let's do it at home on the real ramp so I have an idea if it's going to work or not. Or I don't want to just try it and see if it goes well in mm-hmm. the contest. Right? Sure. So the nuance of this is a seven-foot ramp to a foam pit. Real ramp was six foot. So I thought I had to pull out and flip harder. The trick involved flipping, spinning, jumping off my bike, tail whipping, which is a whole different it's a lot of conversation. Things. Yes. A lot of yeah. stuff going on. A lot yep. of things. And I thought because it was a foot shorter or foot, um, yeah, shorter, I'd have to pull back harder and spin harder, which resulted in me over-rotating, hit my head, got knocked out. After about a year to this point of complaining of headaches, vision problems on and off every day, migraines, vomiting, nausea, and being denied because, oh, you look healthy, you're in shape, mm-hmm. you're 20, 21, you're depending on the athlete, time frame, right? you're a professional yeah. athlete, right. blood work doesn't show anything, you don't need a scan, here's some pain meds, go home. Yeah. That was it for me. So this crash now deemed, oh, you have to have an MRI because we have to look for traumatic brain mm-hmm. injury. And the story goes, to make a long story short of the whole like build up to that is the image that came back was a revealing a large mass taking over the left side of my brain. And I remember the doctor saying, we don't know if it's benign. We don't know if it's cancerous. We do know that if you want to ride your bike, that you have to have this taken out, which that's probably unlikely, but to have a shot at living, it needs to be taken out immediately. And that's, that was like the start of the last 11 years of my transition, mm-hmm. I'd say from a human perspective and then now into my career today. But you went back. Uh, yeah, yeah. Five weeks later, I was back on my bike. I didn't know the skull only takes four weeks. <laughs> let's, let's rewind. So they find a mass. Yep. Is it cancer? They don't know until they test it after surgery. They tested it after surgery. Yeah. And was it was it said cancer? to be benign. Yeah. It's yep. benign. Yeah. Okay. So they do 
a surgery to remove this lump from your brain? How yeah. does this impact you at that point? Because there's any number of things that can go oh, wrong yeah. with oh, a brain yeah. surgery. You're removing there's two pages of risk factors it, oh. I had to sign off on. <laughs> at, yeah, at least. To be fair, he has one of the best neurosurgeons mm. on in the country, Dr. Alan Friedman out at Duke. Sure. Like, oh, he's yeah. absolutely incredible. A four-hour surgery turned into, what, a six-hour surgery? Yeah, six, six and a half. Isn't yeah. he the one that operated on Kennedy? Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, when okay. I did some Google research. Yeah, I was no, like, no. I was in Greenville at the time, so I was like, oh, an hour and a half away, there's like this superstar mm-hmm. brain <laughs> surgeon. Let's go there. <laughs> like, yeah. That right. makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So uh, four-hour surgery turned into six, six and a half, 75 staples, 16 Ooh. stitches, Ooh. four titanium screws. I wake up. So, like, even after the meds wear off, I'm like, oh, I'm not yeah. in pain. This is cool. Yeah, by the way, you'll be back um, four weeks to get an MRI to make sure the skull fused back together. And I was like, oh, four weeks. I thought I was going to be out for a year. And they're like, no, if the scan shows it's fully healed, you, you can get back to riding. You can go back and crack your head again. That was, that I mean, was they could, five weeks. But in, in a scenario like that, like one, one minor slip, right? You can be paralyzed yeah. in any number of things, yeah. right? Blind. Yeah, blind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I could wake up blind. I could become paralyzed. I could have had a stroke. I could have bled out on the table. I could have a shunt put in. Yep. And then two other pages worth of things that were less so, severe. So the surgery then went flawless or were there any kind of lasting complications for you? So two ways I look at complications. Sure. One, the surgery being an extra two, two and a half hours long was because when they got in there, the tumor, it's, it's called a meningioma. So it grows from a meninges layer of your, your skull, which thankfully I don't have, I just have that instead of the spinal cord tumors, which is the meninges layers goes down your spinal cord too. So I could have those, but I don't. So that was one of the things to understand. It was like pushing into my brain like four centimeters deep. It was eight long and four wide as well. So when they got in there, it had wrapped around an artery in my optic nerve, which explained the vision problems on and Mm. off and all those types of things, emotional issues. So when they got in there, they were like, oh shit, this isn't going to be as easy as we thought. Brain surgery, whatever level of easy that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Of course. So then they had to take some more time. More complicated. And that went well, even though there was the artery and the optic nerve issue. Now, complications, the reason I said two ways that can be looked at is one, of all the risk factors I came out of, for two weeks, I couldn't get my right big toe to move. Oh, my. Just your right big toe. I remember doing physical therapy for a half hour a day just to just looking at it and just talking to myself, come on, move. Like and Thurman. Just, and yeah, the, I was about to say Bill. wiggle. Exactly. Oh. I wasn't yeah. mad about it. I was just like, of all things, I don't really know how useful to be able to like move my big toe is. Beatrix but kiddo. It's okay. Yeah. It's important for balance and yeah. coordination. Oh, yeah. I wasn't doing too much other than just laying in bed, walking around yeah. Yeah. those first two weeks. But then it came back. Kind of now, hobbling. Now I can, I can fully move <laughs> right. my big toe. So we're good. Okay. The other complication, the other side of it, which is the more severe side, is because that optic nerve and that artery, they couldn't risk getting all the cells at a risk of hitting either one of them for various reasons. And so two years later, a routine MRI revealed two masses had shown back up. And Dr. Friedman said that's probably because of the complications, residual cell growth. So I did some Googling and found a form of... uh, gamma knife radio technology or gamma knife radiotherapy. It's like a, it's like a more targeted form of radiation therapy and saw Boston Tufts Medical Center. My family wanted me to be back for that. So I went to Boston, I went to Tufts Medical Center and Dr. Julian Wu basically zapped them with gamma knife and they shrunk for four years and stabilized, um, still to this day. But 
The other complications that go even further is Dr. Wu was just recently saying that since I had that seizure about a month ago that revealed a large golf ball sized mass in my prefrontal lobe or my frontal lobe area, that that regrowth, it actually popped up in 2017, very Mm. micro, like very, like probably he said like a blueberry size. And the reason they probably missed that was because at the time it was microscopic. So when they were in there doing gamma knife, they just didn't see it. And so five years later, it popped up. And then for two years after we monitor it, no progression. And then all of a sudden, these last two years, something must have triggered it. Thankfully, I had that seizure a month ago. Thankfully, Mm -hmm. Jackie knew what to do. And that worked out. And then now I'm just looking at having another surgery sometime soon. So complications it's hard for me to answer that because it's been 11 years i was 21 when i went through that surgery i'm alive i'm i did my i I outlived what i thought was possible Mm. with my dream and then got to a level i never expected and then walked away on my own terms very capable just because i don't think the risk is worth it yeah it doesn't even matter if i was even making a little bit more money than i was like it's just it's not enough for me to go through that and then to put people like jackie and my mom my dad through all that as well all right. and I don't do it justice. I feel like I've been telling the story for 10 years. There's just I, so much I, to I tell. miss so many. I'm just now realizing I opened up more vulnerably than I thought I have been recently about emotional aspects of what I'm going through. And someone's like, oh, thank you for sharing that because we always think of you as this emotional superhuman. And I just, I, it's easy for me to be in this position and to not give it the credit I think it deserves or I'm learning that it deserves from other people because to me, that doesn't help me. Mm-hmm. And so when I talk about the original diagnosis, there's so much there I could speak about. I just tend to like overlook it to the next thing, to the next thing. Now I'm facing another brain surgery. He's a big sure. picture kind of And guy. so it's like, okay, mm. that doesn't help me being afraid. And I've gone through the fear of that. I've gone through the anxiety and the stress. Well, but it's like, well, let's talk, what do I do next? Let's, let's talk about that because there's a difference, I would imagine, going through it for the first time versus going through it again and going through it again. So oh, by the way, that brain surgery was the first surgery I ever had. Oh, <laughs> so that was an interesting, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is a nice little tidbit. Well, yeah. Going into that or just dis- discovering that, what was that like to hear, you know, at, at getting the results of your MRI back at like, 21? There's, yeah, yeah. There's, and I was by we myself. found a mass Ooh. on your brain. He was like sitting by himself in an urgent care office. Oh my gosh. And the doctor was like, like, so just kind of came in was like, so, we so if this, you if yeah. you want to tell that full story of you know what I was going through, I thought I was driving to the urgent care office to get the report from the MRI I had two days prior from a concussion. Yeah. yeah. In my mind, I'm like, worst case scenario, they're gonna tell me another ten days off the bike. Yeah. Right. And He's I'm like, like annoyed pissed. by it. I'm, yeah. I'm oh. driving there. I'm in North Carolina. I, I moved there when I was 17 by myself. Family's still up north, and I'm living with roommates. And I don't really tell anyone. I'm just like, oh, they know I'm going to get a uh, MRI report. So I walk in, I'm sitting there waiting for the, the doctor to come in. He's like, hey, Josh, how you doing? And I'm like, I'm good, man. Just a little sore, but I'm just like antsy. Like, what is it going to be like two weeks? He's like, let's, Back let's, it off. let's cool right. down a little bit. Uh-oh. And he goes, oh, your, scan ba- your scan came back and there's something abnormal with it. And I was like, oh, shit. When I go through MRIs, I tend to fall asleep. And when I'm like drifting into sleep, I twitch. And I know if you move in an MRI, <laughs> you have to do it again. So I got even more pissed. I was like, shit, do we have to do this again? Another 45 minutes in that thing? And he's like, no came back clear it's a good image but there's uh there's something in your brain that shouldn't be there and i literally laughed out loud i was like what do you mean there's something in my brain that shouldn't be there because i possibly can't possibly put anything in there 
Yeah. And he went on. I can't that's, possibly. Like, it. Yeah. And then uh, and you know, he goes a car on to say, in my ear. Or... Yeah. And then so he, he follows it up with, at this time, we don't know if it's benign or cancerous. When he said mm. cancerous, my heart, oh, yeah. like my stomach, my heart just dropped. It's like that feeling when you're on a roller coaster and then you hit that like yeah. that transition. The G, like I just was like, what? And then he goes on to say, you'll probably never ride your bike again or at least at the level you are. Oh. And if you want a shot at preserving your life, you need a surgery immediately. Ooh. So back to what I said earlier, I heard cancer, yep. never going to ride your bike yep. again. You may die. Surgery. Yeah. And yeah. just everything just stopped. And the, the best way I can do this justice, unless you've uh, ever taken psychedelics and have this experience, it's like... <laughs> You're out of body, like you're not there, but you're conscious that yeah, you're there. No but it's you're like you're just like zoomed out, and it's like uh, Saving Private Ryan. Yep. There's like those scenes going on where it's everything's just silent, but this ringing and then the ear noise just like magnifies, and it's like all of a sudden the picture just gets clearer and clearer, and then you just shot back into your body. At that moment, I ran out mm. and I just went into my car, sat there, just like freaking out, started bawling my eyes out, and then I was like, I need to call my mom. Yeah, call my mom. She ha- she answers, hey, what's up, Josh? And I was just like, I couldn't speak. It was like yeah. seen in a dream where you're just like, no matter how hard you try, nothing came out. Like, how is this happening? Yeah. Like, I, just, I, I, I just, can't believe I this. I couldn't yeah. say anything. He was and 21. Yeah. yeah. By himself. Like, and then my mom obviously knew something was wrong. She's she's bawling her eyes out. Josh, what's wrong? Just tell me. Just talk to me. And then I finally got it out. And that that information was finally shared. And she was on the plane before you got the phone. <laughs> yeah or in the car freaking yeah. out trying to figure it out yeah, but no brandon one of my best friends longest friend i've had still in contact with like still very involved in my life since i was like 15 16 he and i were roommates he was at work he left work to come pick me up and i remember him and i just driving around just trying to figure out like you know why is this happening he's dude you can't you like this can't be it for you you yeah. have so much left and like never seen brandon show emotion he's crying that's like, starting to get me now and um just going around just what do i do with my things what do i do with the money i have what do i how do i do this and that and finally came to and then just started collecting ourselves and then just first thing reached out to a neurologist locally he revealed or he looked at the images he was like yeah you need surgery and then that's when i went and found dr friedman online and so like you and went and found Dr. Friedman. Typically, how yeah. that works is you go to your general, your physician, and they make a recommendation to a specialist, and it's they make that. a recommendation I to another specialist. You didn't have a primary. You didn't have yeah. a primary. You're 21 years old. Did you even have health insurance? Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because back then, I was still on my... No, I had my own health insurance, because I think it was around that time frame... The Affordable Care Act had that thing where you could get on your parents till 26. Mm. So, yeah, I had health insurance regardless, which is what pissed me off because every time I went in over the course of that year asking for a scan, I'm paying for something, getting denied the service I need. And I'm like, what am I paying for? So thankfully I had it. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, Man, I, I know a lot of people that are young like that. They don't even have health insurance. Because I was thinking, okay, you've got the emotional aspect of it you've got the physical aspect of it you've got everybody around you both simultaneously being emotional as well and upset but at the same time trying to support you as well as you can you've got the the realization that your career that this dream that you have you you may never be able to accomplish that and then you've also got the financial impact of both your the potential of your career going away as well as the massive (laughs) the the death and the and if if you are able to survive the surgery what is your the rest of your life look like quality of life so none of that was going through my mind at first at first when I you know finally let all the information soak in it was like oh I'm dead 
That was the first yeah. thought I had was like, didn't matter about malignant or benign. I just heard brain tumor. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck, I'm going to die. That was the first thing that went through my mind. And then it went to... It's probably the first time you'd ever even thought about your oh, mortality. Oh, yeah, probably. Oh, yeah. And I mean, you're a BMX biker. You Obviously, mm-hmm. you're not thinking too much about your mortality because you're doing these <laughs> dangerous-ass tricks. And then as that kind of you know soaked in, then it was like, oh, shit, I'm not going to be able to ride. Like, that's yeah. where my mind went after that. It was like, once I accepted death, and then I was like, oh, I'm not going to be able to ride anymore. And then that's when Brandon was like, dude, you can't, like, not ride. Yeah. Like, like, no. Like, yeah. that's... And then the BMX community started to find out through an interview I did. And then they were reaching out. They were like, you're Josh Perry. Like, you, you need to be riding your bike. Like, yeah. And yeah. just showing me love and support. But then the financial shit came in. And I was like, I'm not making money back then. Like, I'm making 30 grand a year. And uh, I'm just getting by and stuff. And then I'm like... I got health insurance, but then thankfully athlete recovery fund, ARF is a nonprofit set up for action sports athletes. So they actually booked a flight for my mom, my stepmother and my father, put them up in a hotel for the whole time and helped me out with medical coverage mm. that my insurance didn't cover because brain surgery is pretty expensive. Yeah. Met my yeah, deductible no obviously right away. Especially then, at Duke. Yeah. We love yeah. RF. And yeah. so they, they helped me out a lot and that, that took away, I'd say a good portion of the financial stress, but that's also what influenced my desire, what I'm working on now to create the Perry mm-hmm. foundation, which is a hundred percent of what we raise or will be raising is going to go towards granting people that are in the shoes I once was with any type of financial help, whether it's rent, it's food. I have ideas to get sponsors involved to give like gift cards for growth, like anything they need that could possibly take the burden off them financially. Sure. Cause that in that stress aspect yeah. could change the trajectory of their outcome, their quality of life. And it could just, it could do so much. And that's kind of what I learned from that experience. But what, that, none of that was like the first thing that came to mind. It was just like, oh, I'm dead. Oh, sh- I'm not going to be able to ride my bike again. Yeah. And mm. the tumor was so serious. Dr. Friedman even told Josh that if he had gone another month mm. without getting a scan, he probably just wouldn't have woken up one day. Like Because at this just, point, I wasn't crazy. riding. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was, like, I was, but I'm, thankfully I wasn't as it progressed and I found out through the concussion. But it got to the point where some days when you wake up sometimes and you go like that and your eyes are like foggy and like yeah. it takes a some days it was like that all day. Mm. Yeah. And I was riding purely off of muscle memory. Like I was just feeling Craziness. the ramps. I was flipping and spinning and somehow it was working. I was that determined because I was accepting that what I was going through was just going to be my future. And I wasn't taught to complain or to stop and I wasn't going to stop. So I just was riding off of how it felt. And then that day happened to be a day where I could see and then crash, get a concussion. And that's when it revealed it. The week and a half from diagnosis to surgery, it just progressed and I wouldn't have been able to ride. I couldn't even see the television in front of and me. It's not like I couldn't even play horseshoes with my dad mm. when he was out there hanging out with yeah, us. And it's not like he was just ignoring it. Right. It wasn't a case like that. He was going to urgent cares. He was going to ERs. Just he was going to eye stands. doctors and like just. Oh, the eye like, doctor told oh, me I had yeah. perfect vision, and I was like, "Fuck you! I have perfect vision. Yeah. I can't see anything right like, now. I can't right. literally <laughs> cannot see in my hand yeah. in front of my face. Exactly. Wow. So, let's go from surgery to reinserting yourself in competition five weeks later. So, so to be clear, riding five weeks later. So riding five weeks later. Eight weeks after Still that, stupid. competing in Europe. So <laughs> okay. a total of 13 Still weeks stupid. after surgery. Okay, okay. Yeah. so you're talking I just want to make sure. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> so you're talking three months, three, three yeah. of some change. Yeah. So obviously there wasn't a hell of a lot of rehab. 
April 16th was surgery. July, middle, beginning of July, I was in England for a contest we'll have out there. To sh- we'll have to send you guys. There's this video. They interviewed Josh oh, the, um, after his surgery and just oh my the swelling. I still have this. I, I buzzed my head. Yeah, of I course. I still have all the staples and stitches still in. Which he looked like Frankenstein. Oh, I bet swelling. Yeah. Did you have to get a special helmet for the for that? No, it time? went. The swelling went away okay. and all that stuff after yeah. once okay. I healed. Because like I wasn't riding for five weeks, but right. the, yeah, the video I did maybe two weeks out yeah, of two surgery. Or three weeks. It was just this like egg. Unreal. But you could. Just, it didn't hurt. It was just fluid. Like a yeah. tennis ball. It was insane. But yeah. were there any like physical limitations yeah. after recovery that you could? Everything tell? was mental for me. Yeah, for sure. I, okay. Somehow, I. Don't know. I just fortunate enough to have. I have walked out of the hospital on my own. I was like, they. I was there for forty eight hours, and they're like, "You're not ready to do this test." I'm like, "I'm fucking ready. Let me do this test." And so I had to walk up and down stairs. I had to do all this and that. And they're like, "Oh, okay." I was like, "I'm determined to go home, and I'm determined to get back to ride my bike." That was, and that's something I talk about with the like vision being so important. Whether it's a career, it's you, you know spirituality, it's education, it's like your ideal life. It's having a vision. Right before surgery, I could have, and I did at first, like, what if I don't wake up? Rather that, I was like, no, I want to ride my bike. Thankfully, I had a lot of film to look at and things like that, but I just kept focusing on what am I going to do when I wake up Mm -hmm. and getting back to that level and how am I going to continue progressing? So that's like the mentality I had. That shifted during that week and a half from diagnosis to surgery. At first, it was victim mentality. Yeah. yeah. Why me? Sure. What do I do? What? How? Yeah. Exactly. But then you, you get know, a certain amount of time to to grovel in self pity. Yeah. yeah. And I'm yeah. getting better about accepting those types of things and not just avoiding them. But. Well, what you said originally that started this whole conversation is you were talking about being vulnerable and you getting better at being vulnerable. Since I've known you, I watch your Instagram videos and stuff, your 11, 12-minute videos that you put out there. Talking about it, you're extremely vulnerable, just to start there. And I've never seen you not vulnerable in a video, especially after your seizure. I think what was interesting was the podcast Jack and I did about after the Mm -hmm. seizure. I shared something about this new information of like, because it happened in my sleep. So every time I go to bed mm-hmm. now, it's getting better and better. But like this thought, of, what if I have a seizure tonight? Yep. When I was visiting my dad a week later, it's like, there's a lot of things. If I fall out of bed, I could get hurt. Do they know what to do? Would they even know? And it's just, I was opening up more about the fear aspect, which is ironic because I speak about fear. It says it crossed my arms. Fears is a thought. Thoughts can be changed. It's the first tattoo I ever got. It's my mentality on like fear just being an emotional response from a thought you have. Sure. And then it's not easy. It's simple, though. Just change those thoughts. You get a new chemical reaction. You'll do different things. But I just shared about, yeah, like I'm going through this fear right now, this information. It's I could have a seizure tonight or bowling for the first time or driving or golfing because I'm not diagnosed epileptic. And it's the first seizure I've had in the 11 years. I've lived with one or more brain tumors. So it's just, what if I have a seizure right now? A bit of fear is healthy, right? That's part of our survival instinct. That's what allows it has a shift focus to safety and, and maintaining our life or maintaining our well-being. And even though we don't keep the fear on the front of our minds, it is a motivating factor in things. So it's, I think it's not that we eliminate the fear, it's that we don't let the fear dominate our life. Oh, 100%. Right? Yeah. 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 And I think the big shift between after the seizure and before the seizure, it's almost like a, it's like a moment on the timeline now and before that he was always very open about his story was open about sharing things but after the seizure i think now he's learning to be more vulnerable with Mm. self like allowing himself to feel some things Mm. so well we were talking the other day and he was frustrated and not in a good mood and i was like are you frustrated because 
you had a seizure or are you frustrated that you are frustrated that you had a seizure? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Is it like, because he knows this isn't serving me. I need to move past it. But sometimes you just, you've got to feel the shit. Like you've got to just let it happen. And he's so good at compartmentalizing and moving past things that I think that now he's okay. I just need to allow myself to be frustrated Mm. and irritated that I had a seizure and be freaked out that I had a seizure and then move past it. I've got to let myself feel it first. What was that night like for you? Oh, it was one of the worst nights of my life, but it was once I saw him, it was fine, but not knowing why it was happening was the scariest part because this is not a normal thing for him. Like he said, it's been 11 years. Like, and I've had it, a couple of concussions since mm, I got back riding yeah. after the first brain tumor surgery. Yeah. It could have been a brain tumor issue. When I was on the phone with 911, I was telling them he has a history of brain tumors. That was something that I informed them of, but it, it could have been anything. Like because of his history, it could have been a stroke. He mm-hmm. could have been having like something crazy. Sure. Could having have a TBI puts on. you at higher risk of a seizure. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So when I find, and I wasn't allowed to ride in the ambulance with him. Oh crap. So I woke up. So you're instantly. not a spouse, right? Yeah. yeah and because of COVID. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. And so I woke up and I instantly knew in my half awake state that he was seizing and I like flipped on a light and like weirder that is anything. He was already on his side and he was okay. So I was like, I have to call 911. You have to, put on clothes so I like put on a sweatshirt and then went over to him and still made sure he was okay he was breathing the whole time I could hear him breathe I was calling 911 one of the biggest things I had to worry about is our dog was very concerned and wanted to be like on top of him and I had to push him to the side and it lasted less than two minutes and he was breathing right away right afterwards his Mm. lips had turned a little bit blue but that could always it's not always lack of oxygen in those situations. Mm. Like sometimes it is, but other times it's like because of like pressure or the way you're holding your mouth or whatever. It could be so many things. So, so he wasn't like outwardly bleeding. From oh no, there mouth. was blood coming okay. out of his mouth. Okay. Yeah. But I was like, he bit his tongue yeah. or his cheek. Like that's just, it's, it. it's going to happen. Yeah. Especially <laughs> right. if you're sleeping and your mouth is half a jar. Yeah. So if someone's ever seizing, just put them on their side, make sure there's something soft under their head. If it, they're not on a soft surface, don't stick anything in your mouth ma- in their mouths. Mm. If you try and probably a bad idea, pry yeah. open their mouth, there's like this weird thing like try and stuff your wallet in their mouth and like to Sounds keep them odd. from swallowing their tongue. I hear that. Don't do that. People aren't going to swallow their tongue. That's not going to be a bite thing. Off That's not a thing. Your yeah. finger or whatever yeah. exactly. else they you will, put in there. They will bite off your finger. There's yeah. old wives' tales about like day one paramedics going out and doing that and getting fingers bitten off or almost bitten off all the time. Mm. And it's not like they're going to let go. No, so they're actually in more pass. danger now because your finger is in their mouth yeah. and they're not opening their jaw. So it's just, you just have to ride it out and time it. That's yeah. the biggest thing. Time it so that you can tell the medical professionals That's, how long. It lasted. That's just crazy. You did bite the, the shit out of the inside of your yeah, mouth. Yeah, it's already healed. So bad. Yeah. I mean, it healed like over a week ago. It's been a month to this. Because uh, you were having problems talking and, yeah. and all that stuff. Man, I can't imagine. It's, it's painful shit. Oh, it was yeah. terrible. I almost bit my tongue off in 2016 after hitting my handlebars Ooh. off my chin. Ooh. But thankfully I had a mouth guard on, so it didn't mm. let it go all the way down. Mm. But I bit like that halfway across it. The sides. And he yeah. couldn't really eat. He was just drinking. And he was doing Instagram videos. Yeah. <laughs> Asked. Like, after, or as it started to heal, or like just 
take a couple of days to kick in. Then I couldn't speak so well, and then mm. it started to hurt. Yeah, and mm. so I was just like drinking coffee, drinking protein shakes, eating pho, like yeah. anything that was like soft or like liquid. But what was crazy was, and we talked about this on our podcast after the Gray season. Matters podcast, by the way. Yes, Plug. we'll talk about that later. The the weirdest thing was as it was occurring. I was like, oh, my, like, before it magnified, like, the seizure itself, I was like, oh, am I waking up? But I couldn't see anything. Everything was black. And then as it felt like my brain was just doing this rapidly, then I was like, oh, shit, am I having a seizure? (laughs) And then it just, I just felt like my head was just, like, going like that. And I just remember, like, going back and to the left. And then I woke up in an ambulance, and I was like, what the fuck happened? Yeah. Th- that's okay. We don't have a ton of time right. left because I know so you guys much have a hard stop. But what I want to do is get into where your mindset was following your initial surgery and how that transitioned your career mm-hmm. goals. Yeah. You had this singular focus on writing okay. initially. Okay. How did that transition into what you're doing today with your coaching and nutrition work and motivation, yeah. how does that come to place? And what are you really focusing on now? And what is the importance of it? So to answer the last part yeah. first, focus on purpose and being intentional about my purpose in the world. The way it started was after the surgery, it became like this auditing game for me. Like, how can I be better? Which always was there but now as an athlete, but now on a much more significant level, I'd say. So the word optimize is like one of my favorite things to to talk about. But being an athlete, it was like, how can I get better? Let's watch this video. I'm going to try this trick a thousand times. Going to have clips of it. What could I do better? Maybe it's just the timing. Maybe I wait longer or this or that. And then it transitioned after the surgery to how can I improve my health Mm -hmm. with my nutrition? And then after blowing out my knee in 2013, which is ultimately what led Jackie and I mm-hmm. together because I wrote on it for two years, torn ACL and all that, which just made it worse. They're it not was... super important at BMX, <laughs> to be fair. Yeah. yeah, super important. Oh, by the way, Dom, before you continue, Jackie gave us a clearance for another 30 minutes or so okay. from now. Yeah, okay. So with this audit aspect of like, how can I eat better to feel better, to prevent disease or anything else, then the knee is like, all right, well, let me get in the gym. I'm a, I'm a professional athlete, but people don't think of themselves as a professional athlete back then in BMX. So you had Dave Mira, the top of the top dudes, but for the most part, it wasn't like that. So Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, maybe I should get my legs strong. Maybe I should do some other things. So a couple of friends of mine, one was a personal trainer and then another BMX rider, Rob Darden, that I've looked up to since I was a kid. He got into CrossFit 2009 after breaking his wrist and things like that. So I was like, all right, I got some influences. So now we got the physical part. And then the next, I'd say from 2013. Because you discussed earlier, your first X Games, going into that, drinking, partying, being hung (laughs) over. Now you're you're going into it and approaching it as, okay, I'm an athlete and I need to train in other ways other than just Mm -hmm. practicing riding my bike. The athlete part you just spoke to came second after the surgery because the first, I'd say influence or um, inspiration for auditing how can I be a better human being was I don't want this brain tumor to come back. Mm. Yes. So it started with what can I eat less of or eat more of or not at all one or the other. And then the injury with the knee 2013 was like, oh, maybe I should be an athlete and get to the gym, which I dabbled with a little bit here and there, mostly because I had a rehab purposes. <laughs> and then 2015, I tweaked my knee doing um, a three-month tour really bad, put my foot out the same way it, with a brace. It rocked it. It swelled up and then was like, all right, I need to get onto this. And then after that trip is when I came back. They had hired two athletic trainers at the action sports facility. That's when Jackie and I met. But 
how all that transitioned to what I do today with speaking and coaching and writing of all things, being a high school dropout, never liking to read or write. Now I like, I wrote a book and a things book. like that. Yeah. I love writing. Like anything on my social media is something I'm actively trying to tell myself or worked with a client or it's like a learning I just had this mm -hmm. epiphany and I want to share it. So w going back to your last question I answered first, being intentional about my purpose in life, it started with me auditing myself, how I'm showing up, how can I better myself? And then the mindset portion came last. Now I use the mindset portion first when I'm working with people because it's everything. Right. But for me, my mindset was already solidified. It was like from the way my family raised me, work hard for what you want and you can have it. And then BMX showing me that. And then now going through this brain tumor surgery and rehab, it was like I was just determined to do whatever I could. And then I had to learn about emotional and mental baggage and limiting mm. beliefs and all that shit later. But the mindset piece came last for me. And it started with nutrition and then went, you know, physical fitness and then mindset. But as it progressed, I started noticing, oh, like other people are asking me for advice or other people are telling me mm. by sharing that I've inspired them to either mm. pick up the bike again at 40 years old or they'll be okay with this surgery or, you know, no one believes in them. But they're telling me, they're listening to me talk about it. it's just up to you. You want it, go get it. And I'm becoming like a virtual mentor to certain people, which is funny because I started with all these virtual mentors, as I referred to them. Some of them, like Dave Muir, I had posters on my, became friends with, became training partners with, competitors with. So as these things just started falling in the line and people started noticing what I was saying, and that's just still an interesting thing that people want to hear what I have to say, that we're asking for advice. It got to the point where the third diagnosis I received in 2017, where I was full on ready to compete again. 2016 was probably my best year competing, even though I missed... Uh, one out of five points a contest, mm -hmm. I still placed 10th overall in the world standings. And I was so like... Right out uh, of ACL. Yeah, Crazy two months back on my bike. Yeah. And I hung with everyone. And if I had hit that first event that I missed because of recovery, I think I would have done be even better points-wise. Sure. But as all these things started to evolve... Don't throw that into the <laughs> You were the evil one that right. kept him away. It was the <laughs> thing that, yeah. that made that happen. I waited too long to have the surgery, which it worked out because we met. Had I got it done earlier, I don't know if that... Everything would, happens for a reason. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So 2017, February, I'm doing this ESPN article about my story up to this point, getting ready to compete 2017. I get this third diagnosis that now the two tumors that came back after surgery that we zapped with Gamma Knife, they're still stable after shrinking, but now there's two other ones on the opposite side of the brain. Hmm. And so I'm like, all right, cool. What do I do with this to help myself and they, help others? It didn't phase him at all. He sent it to me in a text. They actually in have this text. text screenshot from the dude in the interview with ESPN. <laughs> he opens up with it. He's like, yeah, just got this uh, call from Josh. He's like, yeah, so I guess there's more brain tumors and whatever, <laughs> I, however I presented it. I guess him. there's more brain tumors. Yeah. But I've been learning about marketing at this point too. And I'm like, th I, I went through it once. I went through it twice, a little bit less. This time, there's no point to get upset. There's no point mm -hmm. to be down and like, you know, yeah. yeah. Right. And yeah. they're telling me now that we're just going to monitor them for six months and a year. Maybe use Gamma Knife if need be, but we're going to monitor them. So I don't even have to like, and I only know because of the MRI. I feel fine. I'm sure. actually better than I ever have felt mentally and physically, and it's showing. And then my main sponsor, they got bought out Bold. by this large corporation. Well, oh, actually, wait. Before that, my bike sponsor dropped me mid re uh, ACL, ACL rehab for whatever bullshit reasons we can t we don't need to talk about. Yeah. That drove <laughs> me harder. And then I found this partner I've been working with for five years at the time, nutrition sponsor, and they were going to give me a travel budget. That's how I competed that year, 2016. So bike sponsor drops me. 
halfway through rehab for or recovery for ACL. I have my best year competing. This sponsor, thankfully, paid my way. The nutrition sponsor paid my way. We're talking about salary the next year, same travel budget, everything. February, third diagnosis, four brain tumors now. March, April, no word from this sponsor about a paycheck or travel budget. First events in May. Find out the end, middle of end of April. Yeah, so we just sold to, I'm not going to name the corporation, but we have no uh, team budget anymore, no athlete budget. Wow. We're going to go this route. Wow. And I was just like, I could have been told this two months ago and possibly found another sponsor or done like a GoFundMe or something. Yeah. And I was like, all right, it's just not meant to be to compete. I, I created this purpose and this meaning of this third diagnosis and everything I'd gone through at that point, seven years to help other people. And I'd already gone through a health coaching certification program in 2014. I hadn't done anything with it, but I was like, there's something here. And I spent the next year and a half up until the end of 2018, emptying my savings, going to these events, learning, just doing whatever I could Mm. to figure out what that was. And then I think at the start of 2018, I got invited to, to perform at a corporate event in San Diego for this mortgage company. And then they, they, the EVP interviewed me 45 minutes, talked about nutrition, mindset, fitness, all these things. He's you coach in my mind. I was like, no, I don't coach yet. But three years ago I got certified too. So I told him, yeah, I coach. Yeah. He's cool. You're going to coach me and four other, my executives up to this event for three months. Whoa. Got them all great results. He gave me a $12,000 booth that they covered. And then happened to be next to one of my closest friends now, who is their like leadership executive coach. And then that's what kicked off my coaching career. And then I still rode the same level, same mentality, train, go to the park, train, coach a little bit on the side, study. And then January of 2020, I decided because of this identity shift, who am I'm doing this? It's still trapping me here. I'm like insecure about this imposter syndrome. I was like, let's just cut it off. Mm. Last time I rode my bike at that was UNC men, the women's basketball halftime show. And that was after we did the uh, Panthers halftime show in December. So I was like, oh, that's a cool spot to leave it at. He did do Duke's halftime show, too. Mm. Yeah, that was back when Zion was still playing. Football or basketball? Basketball. Basketball. Oh, okay. That's cool. uh, There was more people there than the football games. Yeah. Yeah. What uh, year did you do the Panthers show? 2019, December 2019. But the Duke men's basketball halftime show was end of 2018. I feel like it was in 2019. Or whenever Zion and Ryan mm-hmm. Barrett were still playing with them, they gave yeah. us seats right behind the bench after nice. the halftime. And, it's a good time down there. But yeah, essentially, it was these different events that just kept building this belief in myself to do something more than ride my bike. Because at this point, yeah. there's no coverage, really. X Games is a joke. Like It's just a show. The pay is just not even... It's just ridiculous what to the be winners get paid, this, the this level. I'm struggling terrible. now. I have this feeling that I'm like meant to do something more. No one cares if I ride or not. They're actually just excited that I'm doing something Mm -hmm. I want with all the circumstances I have to give up. And I don't represent that. So I was like, what can I do with this? I never thought coaching executives uh, would be a thing. Like I, I still had this lingering mentality that success meant money. And I'm like, I don't have much money. These guys are seven, eight figure earners and they're asking me to help. Mm -hmm. And that's why I decided to stop riding because I was just dipping my toes in BMX and that identity. So then it got to the point where I was like, I need to stop pandemic hit two months later so it worked out really well for me but i was like let me just give it a year i've never taken off more than four months which was acl surgery to just not touch my bike who am i without the bike i went through some shit and then pandemic hit i went through some deeper shit and then coming out of the pandemic i wrote a hundred thousand words for my you know rough draft of my book which will have to be edited down which i'm in that process now but it just to back to your main question it went from me 
wanting to do something that was self-serving, built off of anger and spite from a very different childhood and to prove people wrong to now having this sense of love and gratitude to be alive. And mm. what can I do with that fuel to the third diagnosis showing me there's something larger here than just BMX. And that's what put me into speaking, which I took the backwards route. I started speaking before the book. Normally you do the book and then speaking, but I was getting asked to go around the world, speak, to get paid, to do it. And I was yeah. like, all right, I got, obviously I can talk. I got a lot to say. Yeah, and sure. then um, it just started developing and building and progressing. And then I was like, let me take a year off. It's been 15 months now, I'd say 16 months, and I have no desire to ride my bike. I want to. I, let me rephrase that. We've been watching that. a lot of BMX lately. I love those things. Like <laughs> you can't love, watch Taekwondo videos. I love <laughs> the feeling I get from it. And I've had to do a lot of inner work about that feeling. What does that mean to me? Oh, I can get it from other ways. It's like flesh in a three and wood. I, and, that, and that's why that's where bowling came in. I was like, I can take this energy, this drive to train and compete, and I can put it into bowling. Mm. There's no risk, really. And I sprained my finger the other day. So that's a <laughs> There is thing. risk, Josh. Yeah. Wow. There is but at risk. least in my there brain. There's no risk for the most part. And you yeah. can play it till you're 100 years old. And I got plenty yeah. of time. Yeah. So yeah. it just, all these things started to form in their respected path for me to now I'm like, I'm all in on speaking, on coaching mm -hmm. and writing and I'm bowling for fun, but some competitiveness there it's for sure. Hobby, more yeah, I mean, just right. imagine if you would have said no to that executive or no, but oh, I'm if I was, about if my insecurities or, came out, I was like, yeah. no, I don't do that. Yeah. I don't know. I have no Man, idea what that, I'm doing today. Just well, one tiny word in one. And I met Isaac, time. one of my best friends, like who shared like, He's been amazing. so much yeah. wisdom with me, who helped me understand this path I'm on because his story of being off self on purpose really built into 2017, 18, right when I met him and I was like, oh, I was so on self before, which is fine. We need to be on self. We need to be selfish, mm -hmm. do our own thing that we want. But then there comes a point which I had a lot of what I call wake up calls that meant it, that made it very clear that I'm meant to do something more than just mm -hmm. be self-serving, which sure. is, there's no right or wrong there. I want to make sure that's clear. But everything I was going through, I'm like, there's a higher purpose for me than just to ride my bike until I'm, what, 40? If you would have never been self-serving in any aspect, you'd have never gotten to the point you are now. So. Exactly. So it's all perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're humans, so we make I meaning out of everything. I do want to add a disclaimer that Josh Perry does not have hobbies. <laughs> yeah, and he, he did obsessions. tell me when he just started. Okay, golf is a hobby. But for he now. told me when he first started bowling, he was like... Yeah, maybe I'll try and go pro. And I was like, great, this is my life now. This uh, is your life. Yeah. You'd be a PBA wife. Yeah, I saw it. A couple bags full of bowling balls now. And oh I'm traveling. Gosh. I made 800 bucks this season, so yeah, that's cool. Hey, <laughs> now. Hey, so, you're winning something. So I want to go back to something you just mentioned, and you you flew by it so quickly, but <laughs> this is this is a, a not a touchy subject, but this is a subject that's really important to me, and it's something that I have a lot of discussions with people about, and it's an opportunity to be a little bit more vulnerable as well. You mentioned imposter syndrome, mm -hmm. and that's something that's close to me. I've had an opportunity to see Amy Cuddy speak live a couple of years ago and you know, read her book and had several discussions with people who are experts in that particular topic because I've made, I've had a midlife change of career and living situation, family circumstances, and found myself during that process kind of trying to figure out who I was and this new person that I am. How do I put that out there to the world that I'm this person when I don't even, I'm not even sure if I believe it myself. How did your sitting up there on the, being interviewed by this executive vice president and asks you if you're coach, you say yes, but now you're 
oh, now I have to actually do this. How do you overcome the imposter syndrome? Because everybody experiences it. What did you do? How did you, there's a progression there, right? What was that like for you? So two things. One, I mentioned vision earlier. It's having an ideal version of your life out in the future that you're working towards. You're not running from something. You're progressing towards something. And then the second thing was we talked earlier. How did you put it? Oh, that's what we were talking about. Like fear, it's inevitable. It's never going to go away. Courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is acknowledging fear and the emotion that is fear and choosing how you want to behave. Mm. Fear can either influence behavior to sit down and play small and why bother or uh, who am I to do this, which are all the thoughts that I have every day, actually. I'm learning after we did the the uh, post-seizure follow-up episode on the Great Matters podcast to talk more about these things, but it's, it's not that I don't have them. I just consciously now with a lot of the work I've been doing and these events I've had that woke me up, it's like in that moment when he asked me how fast my brain works, how fast all our brains work is incredible. Mm. But in that moment, which I had like maybe three seconds to answer, I instantly went to what am I trying to do and how do I do that? Don't worry about anything else. So I said yes, because I was actively pursuing that field of coaching Mm -hmm. and helping people ultimately. And so it wasn't like, oh, I'm not capable or I'm not good enough. It wasn't like, what am I going to do? It was just like, what do I want? Let's just say yes and figure it out later on. Speak it into existence. And that's what I've done with BMX. Here's sure. what I want to do. And I'm afraid to do this trick, but what do I want? But at that point, you didn't really know that you wanted to be the coach. You had gotten a coaching certification and you had let it linger there for quite some time. Yeah. And now all of a sudden to... you're facing this question. You're saying yes. And it's almost like a, the dog who caught the car he was chasing. Like, what do you do now? Yeah. So at that point, what do you do? So I left out some backstory that would help this. Sure. A buddy of mine, he bought this program that taught you how to take your specialty, your service, whatever it is, and build it into a program to help other people. And so I had this, everyone knew it, this passion for nutrition to the point where even my friends would mock me to my face or behind my back about it. <laughs> I knew I wanted to help people. Going through that course with my friend at the time, it, it I was like, oh, I, I could do something with this. I could package it in this coaching program of some sort. Sure. I haven't done that yet. I've just kind of been helping people one-on-one with no formal anything. I don't even know what I was doing. So when that EVP asked me, do you do coaching? I had just finished that course with my friend a couple of months prior, and I had this new vision. Oh, I could do this. Mm-hmm. And we laid it out like, how much money do I want to make? How many clients does that require to make that per month? What can I do with that money? All these things were already mapped out. I just was like, oh, I just haven't done it yet. But why right. tell them that? Why don't I just say yes and then see what I do after that? So you already had the plan in place. I had the knowledge. Right. I had yeah. the personal experience myself. And I'd helped other people for free and gone through that course. But it was just like all of a sudden fate dropped yeah, a you, really important client right into your lap. Yeah. 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 An, yeah. An do you opportunity. guys know the phrase like dress for the job you want? <laughs> oh, yeah. For oh, yeah. Sure. No one embodies that more than Josh does. He, it's that manifestation, right? Mm-hmm. This is what I want it to look like. Yep. He's already behaving like that person that he wants to be in the future. He's not like, oh, I'll get there one day. Or me in the future is happy and doesn't think about this, but I'm not there yet. It's, oh, if I don't want that to follow me into the future, then I can't have it now. So he's like fully embodying like dressing for the job you want like he's there mentally he's there physically he's dressing for it he's working like he is 
the CEO, even if currently he's just sweeping floors. You know what I'm saying? He's very mm. good about that. And that comes back to vision. And one of the first things I, I work with with my clients and I speak to you, it's about creating this ideal vision for your life. Like, how do you want to live? What are the thoughts you want to have? What are the emotions you want to feel? What are the behaviors you want to be participating? Who is around? Like, getting that, because that's what did it for me. I had this HD, 8K, 3D image in my mind for BMX. And I just did everything I possibly could to make that happen because I saw other people doing it. So when people talk about law of attraction and manifestation, it gets so lost in context now because it's not just you literally think about something and it's going to appear. It's way more complicated than that, of course, but it comes back to what we focus on expands. If we're focusing on what we want, that ideal version of our life, that future vision, and we focus on what it takes to have that life, thoughts, emotions, behaviors, all these things, and we do that every day, we participate in that every day, then we're going to be speeding up the time between where we are now and where we want to go because we're, become, we're embodying that person. We're not waiting for, if I get that job, I'll feel happy. We're asking, what does that job look like? Is that even the job I want to do? Or what do I want to do? How will that make me feel? Can I think something to feel that now? And how can I embody this every day, which is golfing, bowling, mm -hmm. just my relationships, doing, having conversations like this is a part of my ideal life. Like mm -hmm. I want to be able to take a Monday to go talk with some cool people for three hours mm -hmm. and then go golf or go bowling or do whatever. But it, it's not waiting yeah. for X is going to equal Y. It's actually Y is going to create X. Mm -hmm. So back to the opportunity, the EVP. And what Jackie was saying, I was embodying this. I was thinking about it. I was doing whatever I could. Mm. And then, oh, this opportunity falls in my lap. But because I was focusing on that so much that my, my, my body was led there from my unconscious mind. And then this opportunity that came to me, which I could have said no, because I wasn't performing anymore. I was done competing. I was done performing. I was just riding because I loved it. Probably at a level I didn't need to be, but I wanted to because I was capable and I loved it. If I had said no to her, which the background of that was, the company's theme that year was no limits. Huh. So they wanted a person, an athlete that fit that theme. And yeah, you yeah. fit that theme. She was like, oh, I'll ask Josh. I got yeah. Guy. yeah, yeah. And then I was sure. like, oh. Like at first I was going to say no. I, when she called me, I was like, I'm not, I already knew. I was like, I'm not going to do anything. And then she yeah. explained it. And I was like, oh, a corporate event in San Diego and the Hilton. We're on stage. Like yes. we're going to build these ramps. And it it's, her shows are too. fun. They're choreographed yeah. with rollerbladers, scooters, dancers, like all these, like there's a lot going on. It's, yeah. it's a fun thing. And I was like, I'll, I'll do that. That's yeah, a yeah. pretty good paycheck. That's a fun opportunity. And then the interview came Best after of, that. Yep. And then I was just like, yeah. So that's awesome. That's one. I think one of the, the going back to what I've learned from a child and what Jimmy and I talked about, you'll probably talk a lot with Jimmy about this. It's like focusing on what you want and holding yourself to a standard that is perfection that it's obviously not a real thing, but mm -hmm. because it lifts you up to perform at that level, you're going to have those opportunities, especially when your focus is there. That's something people don't understand. I would say on a large level, it's, it's not like everything you want isn't in front of you. You're focused so much on what you don't want that you miss that opportunity in front of you. Had I been focused on what I don't have at that moment, I would have told Jill no, and I would have told the EVP no, yeah, or one of the two. But I didn't. I was focused on something. And mm -hmm. I think if people could just take that and just think about what are you focusing on every day? What you don't want, what you don't enjoy, what shit you're going through now? Or are you focusing on what you're working towards and how internally and externally you can uh, create that mm -hmm. reality? 
because that's gonna that's gonna change how you see the world every day. They talk about perception as interpretation. How you're interpreting the environment around you internally and externally is going to be how you perceive the world. The world is abundant, and Jim Carrey talked about the world's happening. Well, it's happening to me or for me. Mm-hmm. Based yeah. on how you come from that, you're gonna see everything right in front of you. The difference is is letting go of control and being patient. Mm. And I've had to do that so much. Jackie was kind of, we got connected right when I was like getting into that world of there is no control yet. I think there is, Oh, here's another brain tumor (laughs) or here's another seizure or here's a, you have no control. There's a little bit of both, right? So you have an internal locus of control because you have the opportunity through your mindset, your focus to make things happen, but you can't control the things you can't control and recognize those and be able to release just Mm -hmm. enough so that you can focus on the things you can control. Yeah, and I'd say depending on how deep we were to go in conversation or how deep a person is willing to go in conversation, I would say we have no control over outcomes, but we have control over the way we show up in the world. Mm -hmm. But then when I'm talking to Brandon Mason, my friend who runs Imposters Anonymous podcast, if you guys are interested in that, you would probably love that. Um, He's local. Him and I will get to the point where we talk about Sam Harris's work, and Mm -hmm. we're like, do we have control over our thoughts or can I tell you to not think about this and now you're thinking about it? Mm-hmm. Or if a car is coming at you on the sidewalk and you want to walk on the sidewalk, the whole thing about is there free will? Yeah. If you want to be on the sidewalk and all of a sudden this car is coming at you, you have to make a choice. Am I just going to get hit or am I going to move? Did yeah. you want yeah. to move or did that person influence? Right. Same thing with like how you're thinking and feeling. I'm a very big proponent of owning it, self-empowerment. Yeah. Yeah. I think what I want and I feel what I want, but do I? Yeah. Is this conversation sparking energy in me? that wasn't maybe there a second ago? Or did that person come into my life and just open up this new idea? So it depends on the level of how deep we're gonna go because I welcome everything being challenged, which was a part of me letting go of control. Sure. I can't be married to my ideas, my, my methodologies, and I've even done that with nutrition. I was so dogmatic until I learned more information and I was like, oh, what I thought was actually on track, but maybe not and completely wrong. Yeah, but now there's a new way of looking. Well, at we, it. we haven't even it barely glossed over nutrition, right? Yeah, uh, we need to come back to because that. because that's sure. part of that's yeah. part of your coaching and and that's part of your passion. I'll talk a little bit more about that. So that's been an interesting evolution over the last three or four years. The more I've gotten deeper into the mental and emotional aspect of a human being, the more nutrition just became a tool. But if you're running a program that says I'm not a healthy person and you're forcing yourself to do things and not recognize that action is making you a healthier person, but because you're focusing on the outcome that is you're overweight Mm -hmm. or not in shape, you have this identity that you're not a healthy person. And so you can be accountable in this program or paying for this or that, and you do it for so so much time, but then when that accountability goes away, you have installed this new program that says, I am a healthy person because you're so focused on Mm -hmm. the outcome. So I've just decided to leave nutrition in terms of, I'm going to talk about it now, but in terms of like my content and what I speak about, because the people that, you know, are so focused on nutrition, like I was, I, I, I don't even know how to explain what I'm thinking right now. Basically what I'm saying is there's a deeper thing element than nutrition. So I just want to preface that, that like, Nutrition is a tool. Exercise is a tool. Reading is a tool. You got to get your mind right before you start your fitness and your nutrition journey. Like you have to get your mind and you have to figure out why you make 
the unhealthy choices that you do and things like that mm-hmm. before you can you can't just be like I'm gonna diet now and yeah, I'm gonna be a healthy no, person doesn't like, work like that yeah you no. have to figure out or like, there's got to be deeper. some oh shit moment yeah that for me that's I didn't need to do a mental work around nutrition at that moment because my life was challenged literally. So I was like, I need to do this. Mm-hmm. But nutritionally, the way I look at it is from a metabolic standpoint, and that's using blood metrics and a bunch of other different things. But looking at food as information, what is this food signaling to my body to either create energy with or store energy based upon where I'm coming from? And then getting deeper into like Dr. Daniel Amen, looking at spec image, mm-hmm. blood flow, brain activity. I look at nutrition as how is it affecting one person's brain? Whether it's a CEO or professional athlete, your brain is everything. Your metabolism affects that. Mm -hmm. So you could be, like I was, in shape physically, but two things. One, you could have chronic elevated levels of blood sugar, which is also gonna create inflammation and free radicals, which in aggressive manners is gonna translate to the brain. But then you could be storing visceral fat, which is internal fat around your organs, which is suffocating your organs. There's two elements there. But the way I look at it is like, how is any food I'm eating affecting my brain, which going deeper is how is it affecting my blood? Mm. Because if your blood sugar is spiking up and then coming down or spiking up and then staying up for a large amount of time, that's going to tell me a lot of different things more so than looking at your physical self. So it just comes back to the basics. And this is something that Jimmy and I speak to all the time. Any person, an athlete, an artist, whatever that gets to a level that other people aspire to get to is because they mastered the basics. Like, how many free throws do you think Kobe or MJ shot a day or weren't satisfied with even though they sank so many in a row? Like, it's getting the basics. So with nutrition, I don't like to get too in the weeds anymore. It's just eat real food the the more time than not. Whole foods. Drink water more often than you actually do. Get rid of the processed garbage and sugar that's in everything. Sure. Just keep it simple. Mm -hmm. So... One of the things, and I'm a former chef. I was for 20 years before oh, wow. making my career change. One thing that, or that I might suggest integrating into your nutrition coaching or just like a part of it is food isn't just fuel. Food is mental health. Mm-hmm. Food is mm-hmm. memories escapes. and emotions yeah. and it's escapes. Yep. It's culture. It's tied to so much more than just like how it impacts our bodies. It's how it impacts our minds mm-hmm. and not just because it's a certain chemical reaction that's created. It's It ties into a lot more than that, which is why it's yeah. so hard. It's one of the things that people struggle with the most is breaking through those emotional mm. barriers that prevent them from being healthy mm. or not wanting to diet because they might fear giving up the positivity, mm-hmm. the positive emotions that they get from food, such yeah. as the memories and the connection yeah, to absolutely. family and home. Like I said, and the things food that make them is feel. Oh, yeah, it for is, sure. Absolutely. There's so much information that comes sure. from eating any and piece of food. Yeah. I always saw food. Food is art and food is love and it's oh, comfort. Yeah. So I think our relationship to open him up to some of that. I have a Sicilian family. We go What's, balls to the wall on well, Christmas uh, thing. You think about food as uh, me as a chef, I considered myself an artist when right. it, but it but it wasn't just two dimensional or three dimensional art. You're talking about All six and senses. seven dimensions yeah. because it's every single mm-hmm. sense plus yep. the subconscious. Mm-hmm. Because he'd yeah. be like, that's not good for me, so I'm not going to eat it. And I'd be like, pizza makes me feel like I'm loved. Yeah, so, so I'm exactly, going to eat it. Exactly. There's two, there's two exactly. things there. It but comes but down you got to marry them. 
It, that's what it comes down to. Like, pizza, what is that person trying to accomplish? <laughs> are they happy with the way they're performing intellectually? Mm-hmm. Are they happy the way that they're responding emotionally? Are they happy with the way they look and feel physically? Mm-hmm. That's if you are, look and feel whatever you're doing, keep doing. And if you're curious, I can share mm-hmm. some information about what I perceive you as doing based on the research. And But if you're happy, just keep doing well, there, it. There may be some ways to do both. Right? Yeah. yeah. Right. That's, yeah. Got to find the balance. So... We are up on the time frame that you guys have. Okay. Okay. And I really wanted to talk about what you're going to be doing. Do you have a few minutes to say what you're going to be doing when you're moving to Florida? Yeah. What time is it now? It's one twenty. Before, right. before she be explains that, can I say one more thing to what sure, we were talking about? Of course. So when I got diagnosed a third time, they said it was a genetic thing. And I was like, okay, I remember epigenetics, Dr. David Perlmutter's work around blood sugar regulation, how that signals genes to express themselves differently, this and that. So I got into a low-carb um, ketogenic mm. way of eating. It's very profound with disease and all that stuff. Over the years, that's where I was locked into. Though. I was super polarized and dogmatic. I was like, oh, if you're eating starch and sugar and alcohol, mm. no, that's not good for you. Not good for you. But then I started learning about metabolic flexibility. Our body is able to utilize carbohydrates and break it down the glucose to fuel our brain and body, or it's able to break down fat and fatty acids and mm. create ketones, which is actually a preferred fuel source by the brain. You're able to create metabolic flexibility through discipline and time for your body to consume carbohydrates and fat and utilize them appropriately for fuel or supplement, which was I just been drinking, exogenous ketones. So you can get the best of both worlds, but it depends on the context of that individual, what they're uh, experiencing as a human being, what they're maybe worried about. Jackie went through some stuff with her dad having a heart attack recently. And then, oh, am I at high risk for that? Mm-hmm. Is that run my family? Because that's one of the biggest uh, misconceptions is like X, Y, and Z runs my family. No, habits and behaviors yes. run in your family right. and, and thoughts and emotional ties like food equals love. Mm-hmm. I actually have done a lot of work with my clients around this food with a nostalgic approach to it, meaning love. And then we go through a bunch of different sessions. And they figure out, oh, like I don't have to use food as love. I can use this time with my family or my own mm-hmm. gratitude to be alive and healthy as love or whatever it is. So to your point, I fully agree. And it takes more context. This is why I don't like talking about nutrition so much anymore, unless there's a very specific question with context that we can dive into. Sure. Because there's just so, it, like, you basically open up an infinite amount of variables to a conversation that any which one person is going to agree and disagree with, but it doesn't matter to them because it matters about the person who's interested in that topic. Of and that's just kind of how my, my, my look at nutrition has changed to where. If I, I share some stuff now that the keto police would be like, oh, you're not keto anymore, bro. And it's like, I don't, I never was. I'm not, I'm a human being. My name is Josh. Like, right. yeah, I'm doing what I think is best for me and I'm sharing and I've learned enough cult. to help someone else. And you're trying to help the, people be the best version of themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not going to tell everyone to do what I've done because that requires having concussions and brain tumors and surgeries and all that. And then doing like, it's whatever you ideally want to do once the baggage is removed that yeah. limits us to say what we actually mm, want sure. and that's big the baggage piece because there's a difference from being like oh pizza makes me really happy like i i like i love pizza yeah that's that, probably my favorite food yeah that's our <laughs> but our, i don't like, eat it every day place. cheat yeah. day <laughs> but yeah there's a difference between that and going oh i'm sad or i'm stressed i want to eat pizza so that i feel that because it brings us yeah, back to those exactly. memories mm-hmm. that's those childhood where memories where that's where the baggage comforted. comes in and that's where the bad habits. that's yeah mm-hmm. there's a difference between having it occasionally and it making you feel good because mm-hmm. you could take it back to a place versus having to go back to that place because you're not accepting yeah. 
of the the possibilities of where you are now to work like business yeah i my coach that i was working with my my business coach last year we had this epiphany that like when everything is going smoothly or when i don't have anything on the calendar i get it i was addicted to stress thinking i gotta hustle more i gotta grind more because that's what i was perceiving from all these Mm -hmm. other people telling me that and so when i got done with my calls i got three hours left of the work day and i don't have anything to do I just, I'd freak out and I got to do something. And I actually had to like stop that because it was just like these unconscious. No, you can go outside and water your garden or play golf or do whatever is, it allows you to relax. Whatever it is that you enjoy doing, being prepared and planning allows you to recapture your time for yourself and not have to always be giving towards whatever it was that's your goal. You can get there in less time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like yeah. the whole hustle grind mentality is what I think is magnifying what you were and Jack were just talking about. People get stressed or sad. They go to food or they go to unhealthy food options. Usually for me, ice cream, <laughs> food has been a non-negotiable for me since yeah. the brain surgery and I've learned everything. So it's, I will consciously participate in this. But for me, it was like, I'm going to, I'm going to do more busy work when I got stressed. It wasn't food. It was like, I need to be yeah. doing more. Mm. And I learned that more specifically wasn't productive. No. And my coach actually challenged me for a month not to read anything, Oof. not to try and learn anything, no not podcasts. to listen to podcasts yeah. on YouTube, take my aura ring and throw it away because I was getting all crazy on data metrics. And I, like, I had to just stop everything to stop that program and to expose more where it came from. Mm. And then now when I have free time, quote unquote free time, oh, can I get around it right now? Yep. Or can I go bowl a little bit? Mm. Stuff like that. That's, that mentality that Jackie was just talking about too, like it, it's tied to food. It's tied to sex, it's tied to porn, it's tied to gambling, it's tied to alcohol, it's tied to all these things, but it just manifests differently in everyone. But it's sure. to get clear of understanding your programs and then getting clear on what you want instead. It's that finals week syndrome that mm-hmm. people, so it's, it's a classic thing. It's finals week, yeah. it's college, it's senior year, like you're studying. That's when your habits should probably be the best. You should be exercising. You should be getting eight hours of sleep. You should yeah, be doing right. that to perform. But that doesn't happen, right? right? No, we're no. trained to do the opposite. Yeah, you're yeah. guzzling energy drinks. Yep. You're getting four hours cramming, of sleep a night. Right. You're cramming, testing. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's a perfect example of how people handle stress for the rest mm-hmm. of their life. Okay, during your finals week, when you're building your business, when you're like moving on from one sport into a different career, when you're doing this, how are you, like which habits are you going to be choosing? Are you going to be stressed out and eating pizza and mm-hmm. guzzling red bulls well, or because that's what you, from the tops and whatever you're exactly. trying to go for you that's what you, you see yeah. the hustle you see the grind you, you see the stopping yeah. yeah you don't ever get told no about pain, the good no habits yeah right exactly. you, nobody ever says anything about the good habits. yeah gary v is yeah. not like hey yeah. i exercise all the time i get eight hours right. of sleep i delegate right. he's just no i was fucking working yeah, he has more open he's actually. been more about it but at first yeah. it was yeah. just like we're yeah. here 24 7 i think because so many people yep. misconceived his message but he's yeah. always been like eight hours right. of sleep yep exactly and yeah. then is i got older and i was like i need this i'm not gonna wait till my birthday next year i'm gonna start now we're getting yeah. a trainer and nutrition yep. and all that's that. what i always and love about tim ferris yep he's yeah. all about that life yep it's absolutely like, hey, mm-hmm. actually it would be beneficial to my mental health to spend some time with my family yes. like yes. i don't need to be at work all the mental time. health is something i've been working on for the last few years so yeah i get it speaking of back into transitions what is it that you're transitioning into jack oh i'm actually moving from working full-time as an athletic trainer to opening up my own photography. What? Yes. Okay. What kind of photography are we talking about? Here? Um, weddings, boudoir, elopements. Like I'll, I do family stuff and things like that as well, but portraits. 
And so you're moving to Florida. We are moving to Florida. Okay. And back to my hometown. And my mom is actually a photographer there. And we're going to go into business together. Is this going to be only nice. local stuff that you're doing? Are you willing to travel? Oh, no. I'm going to be traveling everywhere. Okay. So honestly, I'm actually coming back in September for a wedding out in Boone that I'm shooting. And it, I've learned a lot, like being with Josh and doing that and creating the life that you want. And I went through so much in the last year just trying to figure out what it is I wanted to do. I work at Durham Academy now and mm. it's a great place and it's wonderful, but I, I just wasn't feeling fulfilled. I was like, if I have to tell one more kid that they just need to foam roll and that's why their hamstrings are sore. Kids, kids know everything. I'm yeah. going to freak out. Yeah. Like the kids are like, Oh, my shins hurt. And I'm like, you run in circles all day. You're yep. on the track team. Of course your shins hurt. Yep. What are you talking about? <laughs> stretch foam roll. Do what you yep. need to do. So stretch. it was, Kids don't stretch. Kids don't know. Kids know everything. So yeah, that's exactly. Uh, and they're yes, indestructible. They it's whatever. And I love the kids there. And I, I really love my coworkers and the opportunities that I have had there. I've actually, they let me teach a PE class. And that's it awesome. was intro to martial arts. So nice. I was just able to teach kids martial arts yeah. as a PE credit. So they've embraced me and they've given me a lot of opportunity. But I've realized, I was like, man, my ideal thing would be able to be like my own boss so I went through that whole thing. Do I want to open up my own facility? Do I want to have an exercise facility or a athletic training facility? What do I, and I'm like, that just, the day to day did not sound appealing to me. The management of that, the finances that it takes, whatever. But I did photography to put myself through school and it was always a hobby of mine. So I started leaning more into that during the pandemic and I was actually able to really supplement some of my income awesome. in the last couple of years and help myself out a lot. And especially I didn't get furloughed or anything during the pandemic, which is super fortunate, but I was able to pay for some like mental health coaching and things like that throughout the pandemic with so, money that I made from photography. So that was really awesome. And now I'm going to be traveling to do sports and events I love. So I'll work Taekwondo, I'll work BMX, I'll work Judo, I'll work Jiu-Jitsu, and I'll get to travel to mm. do that while my main income is coming from being creative and meeting people and networking and being free to create and do that because photography to me is not, I'm not just showing up at weddings and doing this. I'm talking, I'm thinking about renting out a studio and having workshops for kids in the area is, and teaching them. Is wedding photography, is that your passion or is it like, that's probably my favorite thing to do. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Cause you could certainly take your camera with you while you're traveling to all these sporting Heck events yeah. and oh, take yeah. photos of those as well. I take pictures when I can and it's so fun and especially to get back behind the scenes and like the medical tent and take some photos back there, like with people's permission, no HIPAA violations. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, yeah. And BMX is such a fun, I always, people are like, what's the hardest thing that you've ever had to photograph? And I was like, infants and BMX. Mm. And <laughs> like, for sure, I could see that. Yeah. No, they're on a whole schedule. Sports action photography is, mm -hmm. is, is crazy in picky. and of itself. So yeah. it's like you get this amazing shot and they're up in the air and sky and everything's behind them and they're doing something really cool. And they're like, not enough of the ramp is in that shot. You can't tell how high I actually am. Hmm. that's fine and then you, you take it BMX again. guys yeah and well, then they're like well that's really cool because their bike is out sideways and they're like but that's not the shot you want you want it to be like in front for the cool picture and i'm like i don't like so it's a whole different finicky I mean, if you document our work we want it to look yeah good exactly but it's, it as. exactly well, i've got a i've got a good friend down in charlotte and he's the and has been for years the official photographer for both of the charlotte um 
Hornets and previously Bobcats, but also the Panthers. And his, sure. he's contracted by NBA and uh, NFL and also Sports Illustrated. That would so be pretty amazing. It's, it's, that that's be a pretty so cool fun. thing to get into as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's a whole different set of equipment. Yeah, but yeah, well, that would be super amazing. Yeah. That's pretty awesome, man. Yeah. Like, I'm super excited for you guys. Yeah. Just meeting Josh and obviously just meeting you today. Josh and I have known each other for a little over a month. Sad that you're moving, bro. Yeah. It's sad that you're moving, man. We'll yeah. be back. But it's another new adventure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I think I'm... Uh, Exciting for Florida. Sad for us. Yeah. yeah. I, that's how I keep wording it. Because like even in the bowling community, I've been starting to make some connections and mm-hmm. get invited on teams and tournaments. And so I'm a little sad about that, but I'm, I'm more excited and happy be. for us where we're going and yeah. just to uh, explore. Getting to be close to family, too. Yeah. To yeah, that's a big deal. And yeah. not having to choose. I'm excited to watch yeah. her With transition. Absolutely. That'll be dope. Especially the, the freedom is what I heard everything she was talking about, see you're capped here salary wise and you yeah. have to be all these hours and even if you go to more school you're still you know, you're like barely going to get above mm. just to see her eyes open about what she can do by putting in more work more effort and then actually going above like just to see that and then the timing and all these we talk about focus like all these things what she's focusing on are now opportunities coming and to see her kind of step into that it's been fun exciting and that is exciting faith building in me that what i'm doing is mm-hmm. gonna work because well, it's I'm great gonna... that you guys have each other for yeah. a support system yeah okay so a couple final questions number one do you have a name for the business yet J. lorcella images so okay. it's just simple okay my last name yeah mm-hmm. you can follow me on instagram J. lorcella images that was gonna be the next question yeah yeah okay is there any other place that you want people to follow you? Any webpage? Any jlorcellaimages.com. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to keep it simple and uniform yep. throughout. I yeah, got it. Absolutely. Yeah. And Josh, where can people find you? Josh Perry, BMX.com. <laughs> and then all my social media, whether it's LinkedIn, YouTube, all that, just Josh Perry BMX. Mm-hmm. The background story is I found the person that owns Josh Perry BMX.com that is not using it, though they want five grand for it. <laughs> you mean Perry? Com? Uh, joshperry.com yeah, yes yeah. and so i was well, like uh, at the time i was still in bmx and then now i've yeah. learned to accept that and now i think the nfl player has just josh perry right do what on instagram the nfl player no no the original josh perry hasn't been active since like he made his account 2013 or so right i've messaged him over the years and just no response like no help from instagram and he doesn't post i think it's just one of those accounts that were made and then yeah Forgotten. Just didn't do anything with it, and mm. I'm just like, oh. So I just keep Josh Perry BMX. Yeah. 15 you know, years. It's, it's a huge part of you. It's your backstory. Yeah, for right? sure. It, like everybody who is a coach or a speaker, they always have this incredible backstory, and yeah. that's yours. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Professional bro. athlete, Embrace. X Games, world class competitor, to brain tumor surgery transition mm. you've been through it all it's an incredible story yeah and it's, and it was it's mostly powerful. frustrating when i was going through the identity crisis so well, i was yeah. like i'm trying to leave this part behind me and it yes. won't leave well, but you, i don't need to now. you know what man whenever we need to have you back on here to talk about mental health like both of you guys to we we have a a, so, a digital platform like a streaming platform we use and we would love to have you guys on once you get settled in Florida to talk about stuff that'd be, like that. That'd be awesome. Yeah, because that that, that's a whole other podcast. Mine. Yeah, that's a whole whole new thing. Oh yeah, and yeah. I've uh, I've definitely got some people to connect you with for some yeah. speaking gigs. I was gonna oh, say awesome. for if, sure. If you would like Josh Perry to speak at your next yeah. event, <laughs> bmx.com, not joshperry.com. The, the pandemic <laughs> 2020, I had some of my highest paid speaking gigs lined sure. up, and then one after the other yeah. and brand partnerships mm-hmm. just yeah. gone that gone sucks. gone Lions. i was just like yeah. I, don't know. And I had a, a guy full time with me uh, for video con- like one of my friends for video content and like all yeah. this stuff and i'm like 
all this money is leaving and then my expenses are going up. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm looking forward to when everything's kind of back to yeah. normal. And our podcast. Yeah, the, the Gray, Gray Matters Matter. podcast. That's right. We can't forget to, to plug that again. And that's on all the things, I assume. Yeah, and I, yeah. Put, them on, I put them on like the videos on my mm-hmm. YouTube channel. It's slowly turned into my project the last year and a half. Yeah. With some guest appearances from I've Jackie, but busy. we originally yeah, started been busy. <laughs> and we wanted to talk about, we wanted to have the Gray Matters podcast was because we just, we wanted to combine our love for like brain health, mental mm-hmm. health, but then also not everything being black or white or polarized. Like there's like this substance context gray, gray area. It's very catchy, bro. It's very yeah, catchy. Yeah, so it's very yeah. catchy. Not all of us are just golfing and bowling all day. Like hey, <laughs> can't all live the life. Fair. We want to be, we're very thankful of you guys yes, yeah. for Thank coming you for in here. Some of your Monday to spend with us. It was great and very enlightening and the stories are just insane. And I'm sure they just keep coming and coming, which is why we need you on again. Yeah, when the awesome. book comes out. Yes. Right. Yeah. That day, <laughs> billion percent. We, we are all about promoting book. Right. the book yeah. and the book right. tour. For so. sure. Any publishers yeah. are listening. And that's actually part <laughs> like, of the vision. Hit us up. Yeah. 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 Any publishers. Any hit publishers. us up. Yeah. Let us know. <laughs> We've got a book for you. Yeah. No doubt. All right. For myself, Clint, Mr. Dre over here on the Behind the Curtain and Dom will be out. All right. Thanks again, guys. Thank you. Appreciate you all. Thank you. And until next time, folks, we are the Schmoes. We'll see you. Cut to the theme music. (laughs) 